Good morning, everyone. Joy to be with you guys today. If I haven't met you, my name is Grant Armstrong, one of the pastors here on staff. Thanks for coming the day after Christmas to be with us. Um, as Matt noted, we still got the lights around, sang a little kind of Christmas tune there, uh, worship song, which is appropriate because we'll be finishing up our Advent series this morning, um, the final miracle that we'll be looking at. Uh, so this week I was driving around in my truck listening to Christmas carols, and I heard this Justin Bieber rendition that included a star over a manger. Uh, and as much as I love Justin Bieber, I thought, how odd would it be if I showed up to church on Sunday and I told everybody that I had learned some new things about God by following after a star? I actually don't think that would fly super well around here. Um, I personally would be skeptical even if Kelly showed up and, and said something to that effect. But this morning, as we look at the final sign, uh, the, the astrological signs that God used, the final miracle, I should say, uh, that's exactly what happened. We see that God communicated to humanity through a star. Um, but what we want to look at more specifically today is this idea that God was not and he is not restricted in how he communicates with all of humanity. Now, I think sometimes the story of Christmas can be really familiar to us that we forget or overlook the significance of what was happening, the things unfolding. Kelly noted that in his Christmas Eve sermon. As we uh, rehearse the story every year, it's a good reminder, but some of these things can just feel mundane or typical to us. And so this idea that God would use a star to speak to humanity might not stand out. Recently, I met an older gentleman, and we were talking. I noted with him that I was a pastor. He hadn't been in a church for about 15 years, and he was a little bit skeptical that someone of my age could actually be a pastor. So he asked me a question, when specifically were you born? Well, as I replied, October 28th, 1987, a smile grew across his face. He looked at me and he said, a fellow Scorpio, I knew there was something I liked about you. <laughs> now, I was a little bit surprised, um, and frankly, I hadn't thought about my zodiac symbol in forever, and I kind of had to go look it up to make sure that was right. Um, and when I did, I found there's all kinds of websites about horoscopes online. So this is what my, my horoscope says for today. With the Libra moon activating the sector of your chart that rules the subconscious, you'll be in a quiet and contemplative mood. This energy is great for personal introspection and practicing self-care, though you'll need to remember to be extra gentle with yourself. Unfortunately, things could get a bit rocky this evening. Thanks to a harsh T-square, I'm not sure what that is, but between the sun, the moon, and the Chiron, you might feel that you're unable to focus on yourself because of the demands others are putting on you, don't be afraid to set boundaries if those around you aren't respecting your space, but make a promise to connect with them another time. Now, I'll be honest, I actually had to check with John and Kelly to make sure that I could read a horoscope from the pulpit. I was a little nervous about it. Uh, maybe you're like me, and you grew up in a home that put horoscopes in the off-limits category. In fact, uh, I remember as a kid, reading through the newspaper on Saturdays. I like to look at uh, classifieds and the comics, but I would always avoid horoscopes intentionally because I didn't want to bring any sort of evil into our house. 
as my parents were teaching me why, uh, they pointed to the second commandment in Exodus 20. There God warns the Israelites, actually commands them not to make idols, and he specifically calls out the sun, the moon, the stars, not to make idols of those items specifically. You see, in my house, we put the uh, zodiac astrology in the same category as Ouija boards and the occult. But if you spent much time on social media in the last year, you might have noticed a resurgence in interest in zodiac symbols and horoscopes. In fact, as I was doing some last-minute uh, shopping for stockings the other night at Target, I saw a whole section dedicated to Christmas ornaments that were zodiac symbols. The irony of those two things shocked me a little bit. The Christmas story celebrating Jesus and also these stars and uh, planets having some sort of influence on our life. If you've noticed this kind of rise in interest in the zodiac or astrology, you wouldn't be alone. People who study these things professionally, kind of popular cultural trends, they've observed the exact same thing. Sociologists speculate that the unclear future, maybe our unfamiliar present, the general feeling of what in the world is going on around us, are some of the major contributors to the rise in interest, people looking to astrology for some kind of direction in their life. Now that reality, that longing, although maybe expressed differently, that also existed in the first century. That's exactly what makes God's decision to leverage astrological signs so surprising to me. As we examine further this morning, I think we'll see that what makes the star so significant and the implications God's choice to communicate that way has on our lives today. Let's read Matthew's account of the story in Matthew 2. will be verses 1 through 12. I think we've got it on the screen. You can turn in your scriptures or on your phone to the same. Matthew writes, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now what stands out to me what we're able to see in these 12 verses is that God does not allow someone's beliefs 
their behaviors or their social status hinder his revelation of truth that a Messiah has come to the earth. In fact, for three different types of people, God reveals this arrival of a Messiah in some unexpected ways. First, we see the Magi. These are Parthians. They were people over from the east. They're most likely wealthy, potentially royal individuals. Scholars believe that the Parthians probably learned about the, uh, the, this star from the Babylonians. The Babylonians had spent centuries studying the planets, looking for some kind of direction about their life. You see both the Babylonians and the Parthians who'd kind of intermixed in this geography. Uh, they believed that the stars and the planets could indicate what was happening for a king and nations. In fact, they would specifically speak to those type of people. Maybe not everyday folks like you and I, but the royal, the wealthy, took time to study and understand what was going on in the skies within great detail. The second, we have Herod. Now, uniquely, he inherited his position as king, the king of the Jews in this, this area. Uh, Matthew takes some special uh, points in identifying that Herod was the one who received his kingship and Jesus was born king of the Jews. He just notes the distinction. But Herod, having inherited his position, when it suits him, he follows after uh, Yahweh, does the thing to kind of keep the people happy. But he's a little bit of a pretender. You see, he, he also serves Rome and he consults with things outside of just Yahweh for how he should rule and direct the people. And finally, in the background, we have Mary and Joseph. In other chapters, they're described as devout. In the previous weeks, we've noted how they responded to God's work in their life. But we see them committed to following after God, going through with the religious practices, the things that the Old Testament required of them. Before we start to break down the implications of these, this communication that God had with the people, I'm curious, if you had to choose to connect or classify yourself with one of the character types in the story, who would you most closely associate with? Would you think of yourself as a pretender, a spiritual-esque person, or someone who is devout? Based on that answer, what might you expect about your opportunity to experience God? See, these people, they came from different perspectives and they had differing responses. They did agree on three unique things, though. Now, these three things were generally agreed upon in ancient Near, ancient Near Eastern culture. Kind of regardless of your background, regardless of your spiritual tradition, everyone kind of thought about the world in this way. First, they believed that the heavens or the skies contained intelligent living beings that had souls. Second, that these beings were interested in humans and have information pertinent to human affairs. Finally, everyone kind of thought that these celestial beings can, and sometimes do, give that information down to humans. See, God throughout history has continually shown us that he is willing to condescend to our capacity of understanding of the world with the goal of sharing truth with humanity even in some really surprising ways. The Babylonians and the Parthians, as I noted, they had looked to the moon for indications when to plant, seasonal shifts, 
the tides. They, they noticed this correlation between what was happening up in the sky and what would unfold on earth. That, paired with people's beliefs about various gods, led them to tie the celestial movements to terrestrial realities. Those messages in the sky were primarily given for kings and nations, and so they took time to study them and determine what the wisest choice would be, what would be the best path forward as they led and ruled. The Israelites, they took a slightly different approach. As we noted, Exodus 20, the, uh, the second commandment, God tells them not to make an idol out of the things that are in the sky. But the Jews probably believed that something existed up there, something, some kind of angels. Heavenly host is the language we see throughout the Old Testament and New Testament scriptures. We see prophets predicting this falling of the stars and that that would be indicative of a coming judgment that was paired with a Messiah on earth. You know, we can be encouraged that God's not only working with one group of people, he's working in all people around the world. He's revealing himself to Jews, the Greeks, Romans, Parthians. Now, the beliefs of these people, they varied greatly. Their moral behavior, it spanned this full spectrum. Certainly their social class couldn't be more different from one another. And yet, each of them has an awareness or a suspicion that the Messiah has arrived. God's revelation of truth is not restricted by beliefs, behaviors, or social standing. In fact, I don't think your answer to the question of which type of person you relate with most has much of a difference when it comes to your opportunity to experience God. I believe this story actually proves something other than that that God consistently overcomes whatever barriers that we might perceive exist between us and him for us to encounter him. I think the story helps show us that God is actively revealing himself throughout time and history and that he'll leverage all of creation for us to encounter him. Now we can see this over and over again in the scriptures. We see in parts of the Old and New Testament that uh, God speaks through a donkey he calms storming seas. He causes a man to be swallowed up by a fish. Jesus multiplies a couple loaves of fish, a few uh, couple loaves of bread, a few fish to feed thousands of people. He controls the life cycle of a fig tree in just a couple days. He miraculously heals bodies of their ailments and their sickness. There are so many cases of God choosing to operate outside of our rules or our expectations with the intent of sharing himself with people. What I'd like to suggest this morning is that God's revelation, it's not over. It wasn't only contained in the ancient Near East or in Bible times when stars were in the sky. I have this friend who likes to say when he goes out into the woods that he's in God's original church. I think uh, he might be trying to assuage his guilt a little bit, uh, that he's typically skipping mass with his wife. But I also think he's, he's kind of serious, that he does encounter something divine when he's out there. The psalmist writes that creation and skies declare the glory of God. I think we know this intuitively. This is part of the reason why so many of us love to look up at the sky 
maybe stand beside an ocean, look across mountainscapes. We sense that there is something bigger, something more must be out there for us. We're drawn to it. Now, our temptation is to confuse what is created or revealed for the creator. We often misunderstand and see the magnificence of all of these things, nature, and believe maybe we should worship that or look to those things for direction. Instead, I think the invitation is to pursue relationship with the author of nature. We see that God's revealed his character himself in Scripture. The scripture notes that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And so when we look at Jesus, we also see the Father. We can know all we need about who God is based on what he's revealed to us in the Bible. He's given everything, given us everything we need to experience salvation and the gospel. And through those mediums, he continues to invite people from around the globe to himself. In response to the reality that God is still speaking, that he's still revealing himself, I think we can continue seeking truth. We can continue, we can respond by continuing to seek a deeper understanding of truth as our maturity grows. As I was preparing, this is part of the message that I felt most convicted by. I, I started wondering, how often am I looking for truth outside of church? Am I going through my every day anticipating that God will reveal himself to me in some special way today? How often am I on the lookout for God to be speaking to me when I might not be back in my office or just talking about scripture? I think the star of Bethlehem, this story, it serves as a critical invitation for us all to participate in looking, looking out for the work that God is doing all around us. Now, as I just noted, God has certainly given humanity all that we need to know him and to be saved, but I also think God reveals to us things personally through words, dreams, prophecy. The Apostle Paul notes in the New Testament that these things, they're actually a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, he gives us some guidelines on how to understand this. Some of you may have had experiences with people uh, claiming to have heard things from God, and naturally, we probably feel a little bit skeptical of those things. Paul guides us saying that these revelations, the prophecies, they should agree with Scripture. They can't contradict anything that's located there. Uh, equally, they shouldn't contradict anything that's already been revealed. Typically, we can assume that there would be some sort of affirmation of these things from an outside party or circumstances, something that helps to, in, helps to affirm them but also helps us to interpret them clearly. They should make sense to us. Generally, there is a consistent trajectory of these types of confirmations when we have a, uh, a prophecy or a dream or a word of knowledge. It might come from a friend. The confirmation might come from a pastor, an elder. You should probably expect some kind of internal conviction or desire for that revelation to be true. It should sit right with you. If you have doubts about it or you're skeptical, it's worth vetting. And finally, it should bring energy to our lives because when God connects and reveals himself to his people, when we encounter him, we can expect to be moved by his presence. 
One of the stories I'm fascinated by is how frequently God is choosing to use dreams in the Muslim community to bring people to himself. I was recently reading uh, this kind of account of how this is transpiring around the world. And there was uh, all of these stories that shared a similar theme. These folks in the, these Muslim countries who had never read through scripture, they recall having this dream and a man in white shows up to them. He speaks to them these words and as they say the words back to whoever they're telling this dream about, they say verbatim lines of Christ in scripture. In response to that, these people express their desire to follow this man in white, to follow the gospel, and to be saved. These types of stories encourage me. It shares that God consistently works outside the boundaries of our perceptions of reality for the sake of displaying his supreme power over those exact same boundaries. Now, whether they're social boundaries beliefs, maybe our status or our history, whatever it is, God makes clear that nothing can get in the way, nothing can stop the love of the Father. He proves that Christ is conquering literally everything. He's overcoming every obstacle, confirms that he is the highest authority existing over all creation, history, time, and space. What could our response to that possibly be? Well, we can feel confident affirming what is true in all its forms. One of the things I noted uh, when I was thinking about truth in all of its forms is that all truth is God's truth. But sometimes we can struggle with that idea. We can actually hesitate or resist Affirming that when we hear it from someone who's other than us, or maybe someone we would perceive as the other side. I would say let's resist condemning mediums or mediators that don't fit our standards or are not what we expected. God used the Magi's understanding of how the world works, their commitment to astrology. They're looking for those things to reveal that Jesus was born a king over all nations. If I was writing the story of the birth of Christ, if I was creating this whole thing, I probably wouldn't include a star to be the thing that brought the Magi to Jesus. It just fits outside of my categories of what's acceptable. But when we ignore truth that's on the other side of the table, that's sitting across from us, we ignore God's revelation and we miss the opportunity to give him credit for what is good and beautiful and true. I don't think we need to fear affirming what God says is true, even if it shows up in those surprising places, in unexpected arenas. You see, these truths, they are universal in pointing us to Jesus. Now, we know that God doesn't allow for anybody to be saved by anything apart from Christ. But equally, we can see that God doesn't allow any belief, cultural or otherwise, to prevent us from understanding and encountering Jesus. I think we might be surprised by some of the places that we see God's truth reflected in the world around us. Maybe as you were sitting at the Christmas table with friends and family, there were some topics you could think about that we don't typically bring up because it's so divisive. 
know I can get guilty caught up in that idea of being afraid to affirm what's on the other side, this idea of maybe there's a compassionate position there, maybe there's God's love in that other idea. But if I affirm that, am I saying yes to everything? Like I said, I think ignoring those things mean we ignore the chance to give God credit for that work and that value that he's trying to teach us about himself. The miracle of the star teaches us that God's revelation of truth isn't restrained or restricted by those beliefs, those behaviors, or your social status. In fact, I think Christ's condescension, his coming on earth as a baby, is the fullest expression of that reality. That he chose to come and experience this life so that we could experience him. This season, this next year, no matter how you'd classify yourself, if you think of yourself as devout, spiritual, pretender, maybe even rebellious, as you wonder about the ever-changing world around you, as you maybe feel untethered or unsure of what's going on, take advantage of the opportunity to encounter God's revelation. Choose to pause, look around for what God may be revealing to you. We see God promise that whoever is seeking truth, whoever is searching him out, will certainly find him. And as you encounter God's truth and goodness, especially when it's in a surprising place, cling to the hope that it promises and that it points to. You see, we can have confidence that just as these small moments reveal elements of the unfolding story of salvation, that God is working to overcome barriers the barriers we, we may feel between us and God, maybe the ones we perceive between God and our neighbor, or God and our friends, or God and our children, that he can overcome those things, that nothing will restrain the grace of God revealing himself to all of humanity. And as God over all creation, he promises to work in unique ways to reach across our perceived boundaries, to share his love for us, and to the world. Let's take comfort in those truths in this season. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I find myself uh, so grateful that the differences of humanity, whether it's ethnicity or intelligence, beliefs, or where we came from or our social status, can't possibly get in the way of us encountering your truth. God, I pray that as we look forward in this next year with so many unknowns, that we would look to you. God, that we would seek out your truth in all areas. God, help us to be people who proclaim what is good, beautiful, and true regardless of who the mediator is or the medium. God, help us to participate in redeeming the things that you have created and to share with the world the love that you have. Give us hope that we can experience you, Jesus. We love you. We are so grateful for you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.